Good morning, church family. I don't know about y'all, but during worship, I just, you know, when you're singing about songs like that and you're preparing your heart and you're worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords, something just happens. Especially when you are born again, you're regenerate, and, and, and you know that you've been bought with a price, a high price, the blood of Jesus. It, it just does something to your soul. Well, if you've uh, never been here before, you've not been in a while, we've been in Matthew. Uh, we started Sermon on the Mount, and we're not far into it. Uh, you know, we're going to only cover a couple verses, but to kind of give you a real quick overview where we are, because I don't want you to walk in and feel like, well, I just don't know where they're at. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a visitor, and I, I'm not caught up to pace. So I never want to leave no one out. So, you know, last week, we had, or two weeks ago, we had talked about the overview of everything leading up to Sermon on the Mount. Started at Matthew 1, talked about the genealogy. Then we talked about, you know, Christ being baptized by John, moving into his uh, mission and, and his calling. Then we talked about Jesus going off 40 days, 40 nights, doing his fast and called into his public ministry. And then he went around casting out demons, laying hands on the sick, doing all these things. And then it led up to Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5. Would ask that if you have your Bibles, if you'd go on and be flipping to Matthew chapter 5. And going to read the whole uh, section of the Beatitudes, starting in uh, verse 2. But would ask out of reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ and his holy word, if you could stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning to open your word, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would have your way with us. Oh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would pierce, penetrate, convict hearts and souls in this room, Father. I pray that if someone in this room does not know you, that they would come to know you today, Christ Jesus. Ask that you would hide this pastor behind the cross and let your word go forth. None of me and all of you, Jesus. And I pray all these things in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, you may be seated. So last week we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This week, verse 4, we're going to look at blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. See, you will never know joy or have happiness until you have mourned over sin. That's something we don't like to talk about. 
this tells us that it is not enough to just acknowledge sin. You must mourn over your sin, to be broken. We must remember that we don't just commit sin uh, with this like checklist and just kind of check it off saying, oh, well, I have sinned today. I, I must repent. No, friends, we must truly be broken over this sin. This sin should deeply convict us. Why? Because we have offended a holy God. We have offended a holy God. So what is some ways that we mourn? Well, in life, we tend to mourn over the loss of a loved one. If someone passes, then we will, we will mourn over that. Or, or maybe it's like a, a brother, you, you, you lose a pet, and because that pet, you've been around it for so long, you, you mourn over that. Or maybe it's something that has been taken away from you. You, you just mourn. You mourn. Maybe, maybe to understand this better for the younger ones and, and maybe even for the older ones too, it might be that ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend when y'all broke up or maybe somebody cheated and you go off and you just mourn. You just cry about it. You feel totally, totally lost. You feel like, oh my gosh, why? And you just weep and some people turn on Netflix and sit there and eat bowls of ice cream. That's just not for me, but some do that. But that is a part of mourning, just letting it out. You know, the text, though, here says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, why on earth would a person be blessed who is in mourning? Well, the text gives us the answer right away. It says, for they shall be comforted. Now that they shall be comforted, how will they be comforted? By Christ. Well, that's a blessing. To know that even in my morning, that Christ is going to come comfort me. My king is going to come in and say, William, it's going to be okay. Or he's going to sit down with you and let you know it's going to be okay. That is true comfort. That, that's more comfort than, than, than Susie saying, well, maybe we can go date next week and you kind of get your hopes up. No, Jesus is saying, I'm here right now. And I love you. And I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. That brings joy to my soul. So what kind of sorrow can it be which brings the joy of Christ, uh, blessing to those who feel it? Well, it's clear in the context here that those here promised comfort are not primarily those who mourn for the loss of a loved one. You hear this text preached a lot at funerals. They always run to this text in, in most cases, but, but it's really not that. It's sin. Like Jesus, as he was preaching, he, he's letting them know, blessed for those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's about sin. But those who mourn the loss of their innocence. That's when you sin, you, you, you're not innocent. You're no longer self-righteousness. You don't have these things. You, you lose your self-respect. And it, it breaks you when you sin and you know that you've been separated. It hurts. 
But so many times the world is saying, no, it's okay, it's okay. Just sin, keep doing what you're doing, and you'll be okay, and kind of pat you on the back. I love when the Lord Jesus, sitting on a throne, God the Father takes this big old paddle, and whenever your pastor messes up, he swings it all the way from heaven, and boy, it claps on the backside. And I say, oh, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. God, forgive me, for I have sinned against you, and you're broken. Well, it's not just about yourself, neither. It's when another brother or sister sins that should break you. It should crush you. It should be evident that you are hurting for them because they are separated. They're in their sin. Or maybe it's a lost person. You should mourn really over them. You should really, when you're looking at a lost person, try to just think in your mind the terrors of hell. When they're lost outside of Christ Jesus, you should be broken when you're looking deep in their eyes and you know that they are eternally separated from Christ. You should really mourn. It is one thing to be spiritually poor as we talked about last week and acknowledge it, but it is another to grieve and mourn over things this morning to take place is when one has sinned against a great and holy God it shouldn't just be okay well everybody does it it should truly break you it is as if you have really just struck God This is how you should think, as if I'm just throwing a double-edged dagger into the very heart of God. How would that make you feel? It would hurt you. It would crush you. Well, when you're in sin and you're sinning against the holy God, that's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I don't need you. I want what makes me feel good. And you thrust that dagger into the very heart of God. We don't look at things like that, though, in this 20th century. Most people tend to say, well, it's just a little sin. It's not that bad. I didn't do that much wrong. Sin is sin. It don't matter how big, how little. It don't matter if you walk in and steal a nickel piece of bubble gum, which I know they don't even have that no more. You might be able to get a 25-cent pack of bubble gum, which after tax it would be about 27 cents or something like that. But you could steal that, and that is still sin. Putting your hands on a woman. Sin. There's no difference between the theft of the bubble gum and beating on somebody. It's sin. Looking at images that you shouldn't be looking at. Sin. It is sin and this should break you. When was the last time you have truly thought this way over sin? That you were truly broken? When was the last time? When was the last time that when you sinned, you hit your knees and you said, God, I am so, so sorry. And you repent and you turn from that. Or is it just, Lord, forgive me, and you just turn around and do what you was doing before. When is the last time we have truly mourned over sin? And this, this wasn't just any saying, guys. This is from Jesus. This is his teaching. This is Jesus' teaching. See, the godly of Jesus' day, they wept because of the humiliation of Israel. But they understood it came from a personal and corporate sin. 
They got it. Even the psalmist testified this to us. It was He was mourning because of sin as we see in Psalms 119 and verse 136. It says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. His eyes shed streams of tears because the people wasn't keeping the law. Then the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4, And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Ezekiel walking through looking for the ones who's sighing over this. That's where I want to be. I want to be there. I want to be there. See, when Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven is near, he, like John the Baptist, didn't expect this great happiness to come over everyone. He didn't expect that. But instead, he expected remorseful tears because he wanted them to understand why he had to come down off of his throne because of us being totally separated from God the Father. It wasn't a time to clap and be happy and say, rah, rah, rah. No, this was a time to be broken and lamenting. But yet, a Savior came for that sin. So it is not enough to just accept a, a personal spiritual bankruptcy with a cold heart. It's not enough to do that. Weeping for or over sins can be from deep personal regret. You regret it. And you've been broken. Look with me again at Psalms 51 and verse 4. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Remember what David had done there. David and Bathsheba, we know the story. But David knew he sinned in front of a holy God and God seen this. And he was broken. Or maybe it was like, uh, you know, Daniel where he had cried out for a city or a nation. When we see that in Daniel chapter 9 and verses 19 and 20, it says, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. He wasn't just crying out for himself. The whole city. Friends, all you have to do is turn on the news. We're not doing that for our city. I don't know too many people that's getting down on their hands and knees and saying, God, please relinquish this from us because our city's going to hell in a handbasket. Babies killing babies, and we're just walking, turning a blind eye to it. Or maybe it's during derby time when people's being sex trafficked. And what do we do? Well, derby's here. It just happens. We need to be broken because of the sin that is going on within our city. Our city's in ruins. We was in the book of Ephesians. 
So many times the church of Ephesus looked like Louisville, Kentucky. It crushed me week after week. Week after week. Paul even understood these matters. Look at Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. Listen to Paul here. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? It wasn't like he was saying, I'm wretched. Wretched man that I am. Who will save me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? He knew his body was corruptible. He knew it. Then look what he said to the church of Corinth over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, and you are arrogant. You are arrogant. I would love to have been next to the apostle Paul while he was writing some of these texts. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, he was talking about the sexual sin where the man came in, slept with his uh, dad's wife, and he was doing what he was doing. He said, wretched man you are. Nowadays, kids run around talking about how many bodies they got on them. And they ain't talking about killing. They're talking about wrongful sexual acts. They just act like it's okay. Even some parents dust it under the road. We need to mourn over this. Then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21, it says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of their impurity. Sexual immorality and sensuality that they have practiced. All this corruption going on in the church of Corinth. And Paul's telling them, I need to mourn for y'all. I need to weep and lament and cry out to God on your behalf. That's a good sign to the believers today. Maybe you have a grandchild or a son or a daughter or a wayward one. You need to be crying out like that for them. May I mourn, may I yell, may I scream, may I cry, may I bang my fist on my desk and say, Jesus, please save them. Please save them. Because for us, the believer, we're okay. We know our eternity is secure. But what about the unbeliever? What about the unbeliever? None of us are exempt. None. None. Look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. When I was reading this and I put that in there, many of you walk as enemies of the cross. When you walk into the school systems and you start talking about Jesus, it's like we are some just corrupt person. You can't talk about him no more. You can't walk into political rims and talk about Jesus. If you do, it's wrong. What has the world become? Enemies of the cross. Enemies. They say, I don't want your Jesus. I want it my way. Tell you how much I don't want your Jesus? I don't care because I want to be transgender. I want to get something chopped off or something put on. But I don't want your Jesus. I'm an enemy to it. 
and they don't even know. They have no clue. Or maybe it's your child who's uh, getting caught up in their mind saying, well, I like this, or I like that, or I like this girl, or I like that girl, and yet they're a girl themselves. They're becoming an enemy of the cross. Friends, I don't know about you, but I spent several nights, many nights actually, down on my knees crying for a wayward child. Many of us need to do the same thing. And if you can't feel the pain of the text, they say you shouldn't be in the text. I feel the pain of this. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. So I know even in my brokenness, the king walks in the room. When it gets real quiet and you feel that, and everything on your being starts to stand up and you know he's came in the room. And all you can say is, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I don't got to fight this alone. Thank you, Lord. Some of us need to realize that this ain't your battle to fight alone. Some of us need to start walking with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Building each other up. Need to start lifting each other up. Pouring life into each other. Instead of always breathing death over people. Some people will call up somebody and say, can you believe little Johnny did this? Oh, yeah, he just deserves it. Instead, when somebody says that, can you believe little Johnny just did this? You need to say, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord. Let's cry out for his soul. That's what we need to be doing. You know, Jesus wept over the sinfulness of Jerusalem. Look with me at Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 38. This was right after the seven woes. Like, he just gave it to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broad under, under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. I, I read this and I had to write this quote down. Charles Spurgeon said, The way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. See, we got to move ourselves up out the way. If you want to really rise to the kingdom, say, go on, get back over there, self, flesh. Let me die to you today. Then you can do some kingdom work. So many times, though, what we tend to do is we tend to say, well, look at me. Watch what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'm here. I've arrived. I'm feeding the homeless. I'm clothing them. I'm giving them food. Look at me instead of saying, Jesus, give me all this to do this. Let's hit my knees. Oh, I love you. Hide yourself behind it. Because your works is as of a filthy rag. We do it out of the pureness of our heart, not to be seen. 
How do we receive this comfort, comfort to be obtained here? See, the Lord promises that whoever experiences scriptural sorrow and mourning, those same individuals will be comforted. He says it in the text. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. See, that comfort, the comfort of salvation. See, the sorrow and heaviness of a heart that is produced by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is soon replaced with the comfort as the lost sinner comes to Christ. In repentance and faith, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Well, that's being blessed. That's being blessed. Because now your eternity has changed. You flipped what the devil meant for bad. And even though he is the prince of the power of this earth, you are now a citizen of a kingdom. God's kingdom. That's comforting. That's comforting. This comfort comes as the way we experience the free and full pardon of sin. You are freed of it. Your lawyer, your advocate, your savior. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good and hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Word. And we have the comfort of forgiveness. To know that we have been forgiven. We've been set free. We've been liberated. See, as the child of God finds himself guilty of sin, he then begins to mourn over that sin, which in turn leads him to confess and forsake his sin, resulting in the comfort of knowing that he has been forgiven of sin and cleansed of his unrighteousness. God has cleansed you, even for the believer. You're going to stumble. I talk to many believers, and just because they stumble does not mean they're not saved. It's part of it. Until we unzip this old earth suit and we stand in glory, we're all sinners. Every last one of us. There is no big eyes and little U's. It's all S-I-N-N-E-R-S. And we're all equal. We are sinners saved by grace through faith. Then we have the comfort of eternity. That eternity, it brings me joy deep within my soul that I know without a shadow of a doubt when all this passes, when everything burns up and it's all rubbish and, and, and it no longer is meaningful, when everything's all said and done and he opens up the Lamb's book of life, guess what? My name's written in it. And I pray that yours is too. pray that he says to you, well done, good enough, faithful servant. Not you stand before him and say, well, Lord, I did this, I did that, or I did this, or I did that, or I cast out this demon, I cast out that demon. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. 
for I never knew you. Those harsh words. And there is coming a day when we will leave this world and be done forever with sin. Forever and ever. And I don't need this put up on the monitor behind me. I just don't need it. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. I just want y'all to hear this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth. And the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they will burn as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth which righteousness dwells. All the ugly passes away. But friends, there's only one way to receive that. And that is to receive the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. It's the cross. The cross. It was his sacrificial death. It was your atonement for your sins. So that no longer when God the Father sees you, sees the unrighteousness of you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. But you must repent and believe in the gospel.